My name is Jacob Stoops. And I'm Jeff Luella. And you're listening to the Page Two Podcast. This is our podcast about the people of the SEO industry. We chronicle the real life stories, experiences, challenges, and advice from some of the most amazing people in the business. In this week's episode, we talk with Alina Benny, SEO and content lead at Nextiva. We talk about her background in engineering and as an inspiring astrophysicist, her transition away from that career path and her start in brand and product marketing, what led her to make the switch to SEO as well as her journey from Freshworks to Sales Hacker and eventually to Nextiva. We also talk about traditional bias against Indian SEOs within the U.S. along with the most common misperceptions. Additionally, we cover Alina's really awesome LinkedIn profile in which she brings the fire by publishing actual results next to her job history, something more people should do. For the core topic, we talk about content strategy and SEO, the most important aspects of doing content the right way, how to balance product and selling in an era where Google values high funnel informational content, and much, much more. Finally, we answer Twitter questions of the week and award some more Page 2 Podcast swag. So get your popcorn ready as we tell Alina's SEO story and have another great roundtable discussion. Hey everybody, this is Jacob Stoops and we are back with another episode of the Page 2 Podcast. This is episode number 71 uh, and we are cruising towards the end of the season, which ends at episode 75. If you don't know me, I am an SEO director at Search Discovery uh, and I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Jeff Luella, Senior Technical SEO at the Wirecutter, a division of the New York Times. Jeff, how's it going? Going great. Hey, howdy, hey, everybody. <laughs> You're finally, uh, I don't think you're ever going to get away from that. Um, nope. I might add something like, since I'm in the South now, I can be like, yeah. <laughs> maybe for next season. <laughs> next season, I might change it to. Do the yeehaw. Uh, <laughs> but for now, it's the Al Borland. He's the Al Borland of the podcasting world. And I might also add that while he did not make the 202 uh, list of 202 SEOs to follow, uh, according to Search Engine Journal, he made the follow-up underrated list from Aleda, uh, and I did nice. not make. I did not make either. Did I not didn't make even know either. about the first list. <laughs> yes, so there, apparently there's a search engine. I hate these list things, and I'm never. I'm never on them anyways, which is maybe why I hate them. Maybe I would feel differently if I was ever on them, but uh, or maybe I wouldn't. I'd probably still hate them, but. Either way, Jeff is an underrated SEO to follow, according to Alita Solis, uh, who was a previous guest on this show. So congratulations, yeah, Jeff. I, you did it. You bri- made it. Bribes do work. So Oh, you paid her. That's what I'm <laughs> that's what I'm forgetting to do. I've got to pay yeah. somebody to get on these got lists. It. I got I got Bitcoin to give away. Bitcoin. What's the uh, exchange ratio between Bitcoin and uh, US currency these days? Or can you even ah. exchange it for anything? Or can you just exchange it for other Bitcoin? No, you can definitely cash in and out. Um, it's up to like, at least yesterday, it was up to like $58,000 for a coin. Jesus. When I bought in, it was like $3,000. So I only bought like $100 worth, but now it's like $1,200, $1,300 worth of Bitcoin now. With Good for you. you. Know, Look at you. I, 
I wish I bought a lot more back then because then I would have, you know, I didn't, I just thought it was going to go away. I just wanted to play you, around. And, you don't buy it, Jeff. You mine it. Is that correct? Yeah. No. Well, no, you, can buy, you just straight up buy it. That's. Oh, you used to mine it though, right? You can still mine it too. And don't even ask me what that's all about because I, I don't know. I just used yeah. uh, the Coinbase app and I have like eight different cryptos now that I just play and not knowing anything about crypto really. I just know more than people who don't know anything right now. So it's, I'm, I'm completely out of my depth. Like I've taken yeah. this conversation way farther than I anticipated and I'm already <laughs> out of my out of my depth and just I'm, yeah. I'm using buzzwords. It's basically like when non-SEO people try to talk SEO and they get a little bit out of their depth then they start yep. saying things like, can you SEO optimize my website? It's This is basically that. So yeah. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna stop now. I am <laughs> uh, <laughs> actually back from vacation and today is a very, uh, a very interesting day for us. Probably the first time in the history of the podcast, we are interviewing uh, two guests in the same day, not two guests on the same show, which we've done. Uh, we've done now uh, a, a few times, but two guests in the same uh, in the same day. So back to back episodes. That's going to be a lot of talking for us today. <laughs> all good. I'm all up good. To the challenge. We are up to the challenge. So with that, we're going to bring on, uh, we are going to bring on our guest. So we have Alina Benny, uh, the SEO and content lead at Nextiva with us today. Hi, Alina. How are you? Hi, thank you for having me on the show and I'm doing good. And Alina is actually, I think, our first guest who is joining us from India, That's which correct. is, which is, uh, which is pretty cool. We've, we've done, uh, I would say, what is it? Probably we've been three continents. So this would be technically our fourth continent, uh, you know, where we've talked to somebody. So we've done, uh, of course, uh, Europe and the UK. We've done the US. We've done uh, Australia. We've done some South America. Wait, no, maybe that makes five. So now we have Asia. Uh, so yeah, that makes five continents. We are going international. That's pretty exciting. <laughs> Can't wait till we get that Antarctica interview, you know? <laughs> yes. That's what we're shooting for next season. Maybe somebody in the North Pole, South Pole. We do, you know, we do shows around Christmas time. Maybe we can pull Santa Claus. You never know. He does some good SEO. His elves do at least. <laughs> yeah, his elves are the best. Uh, all right. So, uh, of course, uh, before we uh, dive into Alina's background, um, of course, we, you know, and we're actually a little bit behind on the YouTube uh, videos, and that is actually my my fault. So we're about four videos behind. I promise I'm going to get those uh, get those uploaded. But for now, uh, the last four episodes have been strictly audio. That being said, we would still love it if you would subscribe to our channel. We're up over 50 followers now. We're basically a juggernaut. Uh, uh, although Jeff's daughter is, is, uh, crushing us with her, with her robot and her animation videos. What did she get? Like 2000, uh, probably it's way more by now. It's probably up to 3000 views on one of her videos. So she's just killing it. It's insane. She's, and it's multiple videos now. So she's, uh, she is now I would consider a YouTuber. (laughs) She is a, she is a YouTuber. Every day. She posts every day. Good. Hey, consistency is key, and that's where we're lacking. So we're going to get back to that. Uh, we do record, uh, of course, all of our interviews, and we release them, the audio version, the video version. Uh, and we do have quite a backlog of uh, season two and season one interviews that are not yet up there that we're going to work on releasing over the summer when we're on our break. But subscribe, uh, hit, the like, uh, hit the like button, hit the bell to get notifications when we post new videos. 
Uh, the other thing we want to quickly talk about is, of course, Hamlet Batista's company Rank Sense. Uh, we want to make sure to promote that every single episode, at least for the remainder of the season. It's a really amazing company uh, and really kind of the core thing that Rank Sense does. If you haven't listened to this podcast, if you're a first time listener, Rank Sense is a really amazing tool, uh, especially if you work on agency side. Agency side comes with a lot of problems, uh, unique challenges. I don't want to say problems like it's a bad thing, but unique challenges. And that uh, the biggest challenge is that you usually do not have the ability to uh, directly make changes to your uh, clients' websites, right? So that means that the uh, the time span for getting changes implemented, seeing good results, uh, it, it stretches out uh, because of that. Well, Rank Sense, that's kind of like their value proposition, right? They're a tool that allows you to kind of latch on top of the uh, the client's website and do what's called Edge SEO, which exists kind of out on the cloud. And it's basically kind of a cached copy of your site out on the cloud. And what RankSense allows you to do is make edits to a website uh, things like page titles, meta descriptions, on-page content. You can inject structured data, uh, and you can do a lot of other a lot of other really amazing things. And you can test those changes on the edge. You can get them implemented. It cuts implementation time down to nothing, and you can see the effects of those changes in terms of incremental traffic coming into your website. You can see bot activity. You can see how quickly they pick up the changes. Uh, it really is amazing. And then once you have enough data to prove that a particular update that you've made uh, is is valuable, you can then take that back to your your development team and say, hey, development team, look, we tested this change uh, using RankSense and it proved to be very beneficial. Can you commit this to kind of the core infrastructure uh, of the website and can you commit it to the, the regular code base as opposed to being kind of out on the edge by itself. The other awesome thing is it's really user friendly. It's literally going in and updating a Google Sheet and through that it will update your website. Uh, which is uh, pretty awesome, pretty simplistic also if you're not a techie. Uh, and then the other thing that they're that they're trialing on uh, a beta is kind of some of the automation and machine learning, uh, specifically uh, snippet optimization. So uh, if you need to, for example, if you have a client, uh, maybe a large client that is missing a bunch of meta descriptions, right? Uh, let's say it's an e-commerce client. I was going to say e-commerce is e-commerce yeah. is perfect for this, right? So with e-commerce, you may not have meta descriptions, but you may have pretty robust on-page copy. So of course, the meta descriptions are somewhat important for SEO. Of course, uh, you want to you want to have a nice description in search results. And what their tool can do, and it's on a credit basis, is if you've got a large, uh, a, a, I don't know. 500, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000. I don't know where the scale stops, but if you've got a large block of meta descriptions uh, or snippets that you need optimized or, or uh, written completely from scratch uh, for a human, uh, I, I don't know, Jeff, how long would you say it would take you to write 2,000 meta descriptions from scratch? Uh, forever, because it's like my least favorite thing to do. So What's forever? <laughs> Two months, three uh, months, a year? You know, I mean, if you sit down and figure maybe you can get 50 a day, you know, 50 a day, that's going to take you weeks. That's going to take right. you weeks. Right. Uh, and their tool based on uh, the machine learning aspect. And if you feed it a little bit, uh, it can. And I believe it's done through through Python, which, of course, Hamlet uh, was kind of the leader uh, in that space. Uh, it can uh, spit out 
not not completely perfect, but pretty good, like 90% of the way there snippets of, of text uh, so that you can uh, get you know, your, your meta descriptions and, and uh, your on-page copy optimized pretty quickly. Uh, again, it's machine learning, right? So it's not going to be perfect. So you stu- you will still have to like do a little bit of uh, a little bit of checking, but Hamlet's big thing was efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. How can I do this thing faster? Uh, and that certainly would cut the lead time uh, down from Jeff's weeks and weeks and weeks to like a day, two days, three days, maybe tops. Uh, and helps you get things done a lot quicker. So uh, if you want to learn more about RankSense, it's just at RankSense on Twitter, RankSense.com. Uh, I once hired somebody for to write product descriptions for like 10,000 products. And trying to just imagine the burnout that someone would go through doing that. And it was just after about 200, someone would quit. And we'd have to hire someone else. They'd write about yeah. 200. And it was just like, Writing that much stuff is was crazy. So that's I kind of say there is a burn out there, and I think machine learning if it gets you ninety percent there, that's great. Yeah. And then just tweak just tweak the worst offenders and exactly you, you know, save so much time. Exactly, uh, and of course the other organization we won't do the the live read because we you know we've certainly talked a lot and we've talked a lot about them uh, already uh, this season is of course United Search. Uh, if you want to learn more about United Search, it's just unitedsearch.org or search underscore United, which is a little confusing on Twitter. I always almost get it backwards, uh, but a great organization uh, for representation within the search industry, specifically uh, around getting speaking experience or becoming a mentor to those who are uh, underrepresented and looking to get speaking experience, right? So uh, we've definitely promoted it. Uh, it's uh, really targeted at kind of people that are more in the margins of the industry, uh, women, BIPOC, BAME, LGBT, uh, LGBTQIA+, uh, and those over 55, uh, really, uh, really targeted at anybody but me and Jeff, uh, middle-aged white, uh, white men, which are I'm, obviously- I'm almost over 55, so it's- You're, you're getting pretty close to your, uh, your, senior, your senior discount. Unfortunately, I can count it on my hands now. So there you go. (laughs) All right. So yes, of course, we want to promote United Search. uh, So please go visit their website as well. Okay. Uh, So Alina, thank you for waiting patiently for us to kind of get get through our little our little spiel uh, that we do at the beginning of every episode, and of course our our uh, you know the more important stuff, the promotional stuff that we want to make sure we get the word out about. Uh, But it is your time. Uh, you are now kind of on the on the hot seat. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself for those that don't know you. Who are who are you? Uh, how did you get into into SEO? Where did you start? Yeah. So um, as you can see, uh, I'm, I'm based out of India at the moment. Uh, this is where I was born and brought up. I'm from Kerala. It's this state down south. I like to describe it as a more crowded version of Hawaii. Tons of coconut trees and lagoons um, and way more population. But um, yeah, I got into SEO uh, just about three and a half years ago. So it's a, I'd say it's still a very fresh journey with me. Um, I started in brand and product marketing and then made a switch to um, SEO when I met my current boss. 
um, it, it's been a fun journey. I'm still learning every day. That, that's the thing about SEO. I feel like uh, it, you know you need to have a pulse on the industry. You need to have a pulse on not just your competitors, but just like concurrent industries, what everybody's doing, um, and just keep getting better every day. You know, I talk to a lot of people, keep asking questions. Um, yeah, that's, that, that's me. <laughs> so, what did you do before you you were in marketing and SEO? Uh, I was um, studying. Um, I, I did my undergrad in engineering. Um, surprise, surprise. <laughs> I wanted to be an astrophysicist. Um, I loved physics growing up uh, in high school. I was really good at it. And I thought, you know, um, I was one of those class nerds and uh, astrophysics just had Alina written all over it. And um, I wanted to try and see if I can do that as a career. Uh, did electronics and communication engineering at one of uh, Kerala's top engineering colleges. Outside of meeting my husband there and also landing quite a few um, side gigs with startups and content roles, I didn't get much done with my astrophysics career. Um, it's good though that um, both those things happen because uh, we're happily married uh, two years in and um, you know all of those the freelance gigs with startups is what landed me my first full-time role at uh, one of India's largest SaaS companies at this point. Uh, they're called Freshworks. Uh, there are about 3,000 employees today. There were 800 when I joined. And uh, I had the amazing opportunity of joining the brand marketing team as their youngest copywriter. Uh, so working on all kinds of fun campaigns. Uh, it's a hugely VC funded company, so tons of money to spend on branding and promotion. And uh, at that point, SEO wasn't really a huge uh, thing at Freshworks. So I still didn't know too much about how the demand gen team uh, at Freshworks worked. From there, I progressed to working in product marketing. Um, we were just a handpicked five people who were chosen to work with the CRM product, which was up and coming at that point. And it was all about just digging into customer engagement data, you know, product UX copy, uh, email campaigns, upsell campaigns, and all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, it got me thinking about whether or not I was becoming uh, a generalist very on, early on in my career. And that got me thinking about what kind of hard skills I could take up along the way. And I started looking out for content SEO roles. Um, and back then there was nothing called content SEO. It was either just content marketing or technical SEO. And uh, yeah, and then I found Sales Hacker and I guess chapter two of my life started. So I, I have to ask, uh, with a background in astrophysics, what can you teach us about astrophysics? Um, nothing really. In nothing. My <laughs> Damn it, I, um, <laughs> I was uh, I was just so my undergraduate course was in electronics and communication. Um, my husband till date makes fun of how I know nothing practically about the subject. Um, I was top of class, you know. I was always good at getting marks. Um, but I'm so glad that I found my calling in marketing. You know, it's 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 where I'm passionate and. I can talk about it all day. I can, you know, show people how I do what I do. But thank God I got out of engineering. I would have made a horrible, horrible astrophysicist. <laughs> you know, I've, I have an unhealthy obsession with uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh, uh, I was gonna say Neil. I, was, I, maybe some I, 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 I watch yeah. too many Star Talk videos <laughs> and yeah. um, all his Cosmos and the original Cosmos with Carl Sagan. Um, 
deep down inside, I wish I could have been an astrophysicist, except for all the studying I would have had to done. So, <laughs> but I mean, no, it's, it's, it's cool. I, I live vicariously through some of my friends. Uh, um, one of my friends, she's an astrophysicist in, uh, in, in Germany. Uh, she works with the Max Planck Institute. She recently discovered the presence of uh, CH14 in space. And she called me up and she said, you know what? I did this fun thing. I got published and my name's uh, in, in some newsletter that talks about this. And I was like, wow. Well, I optimized the landing page today. That counts. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. yeah. It's, it's two totally, totally different things. And there are times when like, I feel like my job, although it pays me money, mm-hmm. sometimes doesn't feel like a, as serious as a job as like, say like um, a doctor or a, a dentist or a scientist uh, where they're, they're, you know, out there in the world doing things that's, that maybe seem like they matter. Whereas like, you're right. I, you, I optimized some copy. I wrote a meta description today. Hey, this uh, enterprise that I'm working with, they got 5% more sales this, this year. What, you know, whatever the case may be. So uh, sometimes I just feel like, you know, we have to laugh at ourselves a little bit. And I, I have a certain colleague who Jeff will, will know it's, it's Brian Dean, not the SEO Brian Dean, but a guy named Brian Dean that we both uh, worked with at different times who always like when there's like a stressful situation with a client or a particular project, he always brought levity by saying, look, Jake, like we're not curing cancer here. We're just doing (laughs) just doing marketing. It's going to be okay. (laughs) Going to be okay. But yeah, I always it's it's just funny. Um, You know, that that you kind of use that um, dis- descriptor way of thinking about it when your your friend's doing this like a really amazing Neil deGrasse Tyson esque uh, sort of sort of thing. And and I can't. And what was it that she that she uh, found? Uh, it's an, it's a different type of isotope of uh, CH. It's called CH fourteen. It, it was CH fourteen. Yeah, it was never okay. found in, in space before this, and so she was one of the. Uh, first people to have discovered it and you even knew the word isotopes and i'm again completely out of my out of my depth so i'm just gonna back back away and we're gonna get back to (laughs) back to seo things i know things about oh my goodness uh so one of the things that um really intrigued me about you in particular when you know we do our we do our background homework uh on on all of our guests kind of before the show and i don't see this often you list some of the some of the results that you've driven in your linkedin profile right so uh for example for uh for uh freshworks 80 an 80 percent lift in brand searches that's listed right on your linkedin profile so for you like what was the what was the impetus for putting results kind of out there that's usually something um I think more people should do it uh, because I think it's a it's a really good way to people do it sometimes on resumes, but they don't do it in forward facing places unless you're like a bigger company and you and you need to have case studies. It's usually not the individual. So I guess my my question is, what made you put put that out there like that? And um, you know, has it do you think that it's helped you? Yeah, um, so two reasons. One, I, I don't know how to do it any other way. Uh, you know, I would rather talk about things that I have done in order to convince somebody that, uh, you know, I am the right person for whatever they are, they're looking for and why they're on my profile. 
And two, uh, you know, for, for the longest time, uh, just, just because of my background, because of where I'm from and what I studied and uh, my, my work ex, um, I just had, a, I think I, I was in my head about this. I had a hard time getting people to take me seriously about what I did at work and if I was even, you know, the right person to do uh, or, or, or like fit the bill for, for maybe when I was applying for a job. And so I made it a practice and I, and I apply this not just on my um, LinkedIn profile, but whenever I'm communicating with somebody, I try to be as descriptive as possible, keep it short and concise. If talking about numbers, the best way to communicate something, then I just leave it at that instead of talking or, you know, writing like a, a whole entire paragraph about what I'm doing, but it doesn't convey anything. Uh, and so yeah, and has it brought results? A hundred percent. All of my jobs have be- have been because of you know uh, the, the audience I've built and the kind of connections I've built through LinkedIn. Um, I don't know what the impetus was back then for me to get on LinkedIn as soon as I did in college. None of my classmates were doing it. Um, it, it hadn't really taken off uh, in my part of the world back then, at least not with the younger crowd. Uh, it, it might have been my husband's influence. I don't know. Uh, and so, you know, I, I took it seriously back then. I always wanted to keep my social profiles professional. It's a habit I started when I was 20. And so just still been, you know, at it and still trying to make it better. And so, yeah, my entire career is, is based off of what you see right then. I'm leaving it out in the open for people to see and consume and whatever they want. Uh, take inspiration from it if you if you are an up and coming person in, in your career, or if you feel like you know you you need to know what I've done so far. No questions, so let's just drop by my LinkedIn and see what I've done. You know. Yeah, I think uh, what I really like about it is like we're in the business of getting results, right? That's that's pretty much our our entire job. Uh, is we're going to take you from A to B. It's going to be, you know, it's hard to predict a, a certain percentage, but it's going to be better than what you had uh, had before. And that's that's the goal. So like behind the scenes, especially on the agency side, we're constantly talking about this percentage increase or this thing improved, that thing improved uh, as, a, as a way to communicate that we're good at, good at our jobs. But rarely will you see um, somebody in-house or somebody at an agency uh, take that and make those numbers forward facing. But that can also be the impetus to get hired uh, at another at another job. Uh, you know, you ha- uh, of course, to move on and move up, you have to show that you're capable. And what better way to show that you're capable by like irrefutable facts. Nobody can take that away from you. You did that. Uh, and that's just not something I see very often. And it's actually surprising that you do not see that in a more forward facing um, or at least more often, I should say. Yeah, I once wrote code that took down a server full of 25 different websites. <laughs> don't, don't put that on your resume. No, don't. <laughs> don't do that. That was early yeah. on in the career, you know. <laughs> I've grown since then. Don't, loop, don't loop worry. Commands could be, infinite loops could be a pain, you know. <laughs> I think like 16 or 17 years ago, uh, when I first started out as a web designer, I once, uh, instead of, I didn't know the difference between uh, uh, client side and server side source code. So I once, when managing a client's website, just copied and pasted the actual like front end source code and put it in the back end and broke everything. The client called later that day going like, why is 
why my website doesn't work. Why is it broken? It's not like it's completely broken. And I had no idea and I broke their website. So not putting that out there either. That was very early on in Jake's <laughs> career. Don't trust him to manage websites. Happens to the best of us. Right. Uh, all right. So, uh, so Alina, you went from, you went from Freshworks uh, and then you moved on to Sales Hacker uh, and, and take us kind of up to your current role at Xtiba. Yeah, um, I think I have to give you some context about what happened at Sales Hacker uh, as an introduction. So I was their first ever content marketing manager hire. They didn't really have a full-fledged marketing team before then. So my former boss, who is also my current boss, uh, Gaetano, uh, I knew him from my first work time. So we'd worked on a couple of partnerships together with uh, because I was working for the CRM product. And so we were, we knew all of the B2B sales blogs out there. We were looking for partnerships and sales hacker at that point had one of the largest B2B audiences that we could tap into. Um, and so, you know, he knew of me, we had a couple of conversations and uh, we had the partnerships going, that partnership going. And when he put out that job description uh, for their first ever content marketing manager, it was at least, I think, a few months into me thinking about switching roles. Um, and I'd almost given up uh, because, again, I don't know if you know this about uh, the marketing industry, especially when you're trying in, trying to break into the um, North American marketing um, space. You get turned out a lot because of your location. And I, I, I just couldn't, you know, um, try and convince people that um, I can bring value. Um, there, there are a lot of preconceived notions and biases about what marketers from India can or cannot do. And so um, sales hacker came at the right time, uh, January 2018. Uh, I saw this job description. Uh, I still had my full-time job at Freshworks, and but then I had five days to do this test project that uh, they had given me. I had never worked with an SEO tool before this. And so I um, called up a friend who knew of some tools and then we, we figured out how to get me uh, just like a free trial for seven days. And um, I, I did that project, uh, the test project, you know, after eight hours of full-time work, I would come back home, spend four hours or five hours. And it was probably the most challenging five hours till date. And at the end of those five hours, I created um, a deck with a very similar branding that Sales Hacker had that, you, that they used for their webinars. Um, and I was really excited because it, safe to say, it blew their minds, they really liked it. And they offered me the role on the spot on that, that presentation call that I had with them. And um, I worked there for about eight months, kind of fine tuning everything that Gaetano had laid in place uh, to build the contributor blog up from scratch. It was a very exciting role because I was getting to work with close to 100 B2B SaaS companies of all sizes. They all wanted to uh, you know, publish posts on our website. They all wanted to get it on newsletters and webinars and things like that. And um, we get acquired by Outreach.io. I didn't see that coming. Uh, and this was announced at our retreat in New York at that point. And uh, it was really exciting because I'd never directly been part of an acquisition or an acquihire before this. And it was just a team of five members. And to be able to be a part of that was amazing and to know that you were valued. Um, but then I hear that Gaetano uh, wouldn't be continuing. He said, um, you know, he found uh, a cooler opportunity at Nexiva and that him and, you know, our CMO at that time, Yaniv, had been chatting for a while. And so the next thing I knew, um, I hopped on a flight to uh, Arizona 
and a couple of conversations later, I was uh, the second hire on their demand gen team. And so we've been building it from scratch for, over, uh, for the last two and a half years. Today, we're about eight marketers, amazing people, handpicked uh, the best of the best from the industry. I love all of my coworkers. Um, in the beginning, uh, I think about a year and a half, I spent, uh, again, building our blog from scratch. It wasn't SEO focused at all. And so just creating all those processes, borrowing all our best practices from my sales hacker time and bringing it to next year. When we started, it was just about less than 10k monthly visits to the blog and uh, today we have i think over 250,000 per month and so just bringing all that audience again that was the first part of my job and then i moved on to more of the mid funnel bottom of the funnel activities i entirely own all of our organic and paid landing pages today the entire content creation process and production process for those pages testing them optimizing them conversion rate optimizations for those pages um, and then QA and getting it live, working with design and development uh, day in and day out. And so that's where we are today with Nexiva. And you brought up um, a very, very interesting point, right? So a, a lot of SEOs, uh, my experience lies mostly on agency side. So I cite that quite often. Um, we're working more in a funnel than I, I, I think most agencies would like to would like to admit um i think at search discovery um we do a pretty good job of of communicating across teams but there's still certain elements of of um kind of working working in a funnel and definitely at my previous agencies it was a lot more uh walled off between uh between teams so uh you're kind of on the you know on the on the ground in in you had said you were leaning towards being a being a generalist. Um, so t tell us what it's like to balance all of the other non SEO stuff in terms of like the percentage of your your time uh, and focus. What you know, what amount of focus goes into paid landing pages? That's kind of your one of your core responsibilities or testing. Uh, and now you're lower in the funnel, of course. So you're probably looking at conversion rate optimization and figuring out how to get users to uh, to convert, maybe even up to post purchase activity. So how much of your time is spent on SEO and how much of your time is spent on some of the other the other stuff? And how do you get that? all that stuff to work together in harmony. Right, I, I'd say it's a good 50-50 um, because I enjoy doing both. And uh, the nice thing about Nixiva is that, you know, the sky's the limit. We still have so much potential to grow. Uh, we're a lot younger marketing-wise compared to most of our competitors. Um, you know, Ring Central, for example, has been doing what we're doing for over a decade. And so we have 10 years of catching up to do in terms of pages and copy and rankings and, you know, even revenue. Um, and so that's a great challenge to be up against. Um, and the nice thing about having an SEO background or knowing how, the, how to work or make SEO work for you and then also collaborating with all these different teams is that you get a lot of clarity on what might work. I mean, that's the that's the job of an SEO fundamentally. Like you have an eye for what might grab attention and how to bring audience. And so combining that with working with development and working with, uh, you know, the paid ads team, uh, the designers uh, or product marketing, it, it's very interesting because you're bringing a perspective that nobody else has. It's very easy. And, and I know this because during my time at Freshworks, um, I didn't know how to tap into that power of SEO or like, 
thinking about it from uh, a very top of the funnel, high level angle. And so you'd assume that, oh, just because if we, you know, if, if we build out these 10 features that your competitors have, you're just going to immediately have the same kind of traction that your competitors are getting. Like there were times when we would, um, in terms of feature parity, have the exact same things that some of the some of the, our competitors would have, but our signups wouldn't go up. And so being able to be in the trenches with all those teams, with the extra context that we have as SEO folks, I think is amazing. You know, you're telling them it's not enough that you build, it's important to build and promote and get eyeballs on this. And that's how you ultimately, what everybody wants is to increase your bottom line and get that net new MRR. And that's what we're doing, you know. Yeah, that's funny. And and I think we'll probably get into it. Uh, so our core topic today is going to be uh, SEO and the role of content marketing, content strategy, however you want to say it. Um, and it's it's an interesting concept that you touched on uh, that I think we're going to touch on uh, again is that like optimization isn't done when you quote unquote optimize a page or a certain section of the site. It's kind of a never ending uh, never-ending thing and it works best when supported with other activities as opposed to just by itself. Um, I have to, so I've got a couple more questions and then I do want to move on to the, um, to the core topic. Uh, you're, so with Nextiva, you mentioned being kind of uh, more kind of fresh in the, in the space, not as, uh, not as established as some of your competitors. So that's uh, you know, a pretty similar position to, you know, many uh, that would apply probably to many uh, newer companies, even startups in many other spaces. So when you're in an industry where you're facing well-established players or, or people that have just been around for a long time, or in some cases you're in an industry, uh, you know, especially if you're e-commerce with juggernauts like Amazon, Walmart, Target, um, how do you compete? How do you catch up and make up for that lost time? Yeah, and, and this is funny because I've always worked in teams that were up against giants. So during my Freshworks time, uh, my CRM product was competing against Salesforce, our entire campaign. Um, so the we, we did this interesting campaign when I was uh, working for the brand team and also kind of moonlighting with the product marketing team. Uh, it was a bus campaign around Dreamforce in 2017. Um, just amazing messaging. It was a really fun, creative project to work on, and that's how we drove um, those direct brand visits. There was like an 80% lift in just 30 days of us launching that campaign. Of course, it was extremely expensive, but Freshworks could get away with it because of all the funding that we received. And so it, it just really depends, you know, Freshworks at that point, again, was a startup. Uh, it's on its way to being an enterprise. Um, but then if you are well-funded, you can use, the, you know, Use that ammunition to build your brand, spend a lot of money on all these billboards and like, you know, below the line targeted sort of campaigns. And when the demand gen team uh, helped us understand the impact of all that external activity uh, into how it impacted the digital space, I found it really difficult to understand that. I was like, how, how do you know? How are you measuring whether or not um, you know, websites visits, visit went up? How do you uh, differentiate between direct versus like branded versus non-branded? type of search uh, into the website and things like that. And and then moving to an Xtiva, again, we're up against, you know, some of the more established players. And what I would like, I think what's really important is that you work on your basis and fundamentals, which is 
which is really interesting that you should ask again about this because that's what we've been doing over the last two years at Nextiva, kind of catching up. So it's a lot of your quantum gap analysis and like what are the top money keyword landing pages that you can build to um, funnel leads into your sales uh, machine. But then, uh, you know, where most teams I feel like uh, it starts getting old is when you only do that. If you're only doing competitor analysis and if you're only focused on catching up. And so once you've kind of established, like for example, in 2018, when I started working on the blog with Nextiva, <clears throat> we wouldn't immediately rank for VoIP terms, which is ironic because the product itself is a VoIP company. And, um, but today, even if we did publish, you know, we don't have to publish a massive guide or we don't have to do the whole skyscraper technique. If we do publish something around VoIP, we do rank in a couple of weeks because we took those two years to build that authority about a topic. And I, I think that's the goal. You know, it, it shouldn't be to beat your competitors with every single exact match target keyword or anything like that. Is it, it is that when, when at that point where you can get search engines to recognize you for your website and your core offering, you stop there or you kind of try and shift your focus to, okay, what's unique about our company and what can we do that's different and, focus on those things, you know, and I think our differentiating factor at this point is that we're still agile. I'm up against teams that are you know, 200 members or 300 members large at like companies like Dialpad or 8x8 or next, you know, Bing Central. We're a team of eight. We still operate on weekly sprints, uh, very much like a startup inside a mid-sized company. And so I love that, you know, we're very flexible. We can think about a project on Monday, get it out of the door on Friday. I don't see that happening with larger companies. And so that that's our recipe right there. I hope they're not listening. <laughs> no, that's that's so true. Jeff, go go ahead. I yeah, you've got yeah, a I was lot gonna say, like how that. close how close um do you work with thing like customer service teams and stuff like that to help yeah. you find out where your content's going. Um, I, I think a lot of times that I've had, you know, I've never worked in a company like yours, but I've worked, I've helped from, you know, as an SEO from a consultant side. And, and I was always like, you know, your customer service people have the best research because people are calling them and complaining. What are they complaining about? How can we, like, how can we write that? So if someone's searching for it, like we show up for it. Um, and, and I know we could probably do that with keyword just, or, or looking on the web, but are you close to the customer service team or are they, you know, is it, I, I've been in companies where like, no way am I getting near those, those people. Um, so I would always have to like send like sneaky emails out. I just didn't know how close you were to them. Yeah. I mean, every team is accessible here. Um, it's also a nice thing about just asking uh, at, a, at a company this size. Um, everybody still operates with that scrappy kind of mindset, of that, which, which is really cool. And so not just customer service, we also make it a habit of reaching out to account executives and like, you know, general sales organization, because they have so much information on what's out there and they can validate ideas. We all, like you said, with keyword research, you do have a general sense of what's going to work, but then being able to prioritize that, you need to lean on internal teams and the knowledge that they have. So, you know. Yeah, we're able to do that on a, on a pretty decent level. I wouldn't say it's a perfect world, but uh, it's better that than is. a lot. Of, yeah, it's better than a lot of large organizations. Uh, yeah. The the great thing, and from my limited experience working at um, at a startup, uh, is that startups are based on the idea of being able to pivot, right? Almost to the point of pivoting when pivoting isn't always necessary as like a habitual habitual thing. 
but when you're working against a small company, I really like, or you're a small company working against a big company, you may never be able to equal their brand equity, uh, but you may be able to find your pockets where you can dominate and you can be more more nimble than they are. Uh, those big companies have months and months and months of red tape just to do something very simple. Just like, hey, I wanna update the copy on that page. Okay, I'll see you in six months and then it'll be updated. Whereas at a startup, you can get things done a lot quicker. Uh, and that has has its advantages for, for sure. Um, so before we move on to the kind of the core core topic, I've got one last question and you've kind of touched on it a, a few times and I'm going to apologize in advance because I think it may come off the, the wrong way. So I hope it doesn't come off the wrong way. It's not meaning to come off the wrong way, but from a U.S. Uh, out point of view, um, with you being in India, there's, I think, a very common viewpoint. Uh, and I think we've all heard it like, hey, we're going to outsource this to India and then cue all of the you know, eye rolls, whatever. I think that there's a perception from the U.S. looking outward that there's uh, when that happens, uh, it's usually the cost savings measure. And there's a reduction of some sort, a trade off in quality. Uh, now from you, and I'm not saying any of that's true. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, from your viewpoint, you also mentioned not being taken seriously. So having never had the opportunity to speak to somebody who does SEO from India on this podcast, I think this is just kind of the open platform for you to kind of share your viewpoint as somebody from India who does SEO. You've you've been in the US for some time, so I think you're probably uh, familiar, at least to some degree, with the way you know US people think. So I this is this I'm gonna stop talking now. This is your platform. Tell tell us all, I, I guess about your viewpoints on SEO and, and India. Yeah, I mean you're on point with the perception of you know, um, cheaper labor uh, and where quality is compromised. Um, marketing wasn't one of those industries that people looked at when, when they thought about sourcing. It's only recently that you'll see a lot of, you know, link building agencies or whatever you can do at scale, ship that off to this part of the world. And um, the problem with that is that, you know, again, with quality and everybody just gets a bad rap at the end of the day, you know, and I was in that group and I can, I can backtrack to like one moment in my life where I was interviewing uh, back in 2017 um, and I was pretty determined to find roles made with global teams. Um, I don't know if you can call me a coconut when I'm white inside and brown outside, but I don't know. Uh, just something about having, you know, I have family on the East Coast and I've been um, with a few volunteering opportunities that I've had. I was in the U.S. a few times and for events and I wanted to work with teams. It, it just seemed a little more straightforward. In India, unfortunately, even if you're working at a startup, there are lots of layers, lots of, I don't know, bureaucracy that I don't want to deal with. It's just not in my blood. And so um, I found in your words, US people <laughs> to be a little more straightforward in that sense, at least in, inside like the SaaS world or inside the startup world. 
And so while I was determined to, to land uh, a role in the startup world back then, I was, I'm not going to name names, but uh, for a very famous document signing um, company, I was interviewing for a role. I remember hopping on this call with uh, the head of marketing at that point, And I, I made it very clear to him, you know, it's all on my resume. My resume back then, it didn't have as many numbers about traffic and keywords and SEO, but it did have about, you know, my brand and product marketing work. And um, so he had context about what I had done. And, and yet on the call, he was like, do you have experience with Google ads? I said, no, do you have experience with, um, you know, SEO? I said, no, have you, have you done any sort of website optimization? I said, no, I know. And then he's like, so what, what can you do? And for a second there, it, it was like the two years of work that I put in, uh, busting my head off, uh, working, you know, over 12 hours because I, I needed to prove myself. It, it was as though it didn't mean anything. And then um, the second part of that whole terrifying story, which now I look back and laugh at, um, is that, um, so they had a, an office in Eastern Europe and they had an office in the US. And um, he asked me, so, so what's your plan? Like, we don't have a remote uh, work set up at this point. Um, you would either have to move to Europe or the US. So what are you thinking? I'm like, I'm fine moving to wherever, you know, um, as, as long as I get to work closely with whichever team is hiring me. And um, he said, okay, it, it just sounds like you're trying to get out of India, you know. And I, I was like, do you, do you have any context on what it's like to be a marketer in India and try to break into this industry? At that point, there were like only less than 10 startups that I thought was exciting to work at in India. And there are all these biases and it, it just, it made me so furious. Um, and I was almost like, crying when I hopped off that call. I decided that day that it was on me to like find companies and people and teams that I wanted to work with who would appreciate where I came from and didn't throw things like, oh, native English speaking or remote, but in the US, you know, you see that a lot today, but like give people a shot, you know, you, you never know what people are going to, or how people are going to surprise you. And I know it sounds very idealistic, but it, it really isn't. Um, and so a lot of times when, you know, I put myself out there like this, it's also my way of showing folks back home that, hey, I I'm still doing part-time remote, sitting out of India and sitting out of the U.S. And uh, it's been difficult to establish my niche and like get U.S. salaries for myself or like be taken just as seriously as the rest of my team. And um, I don't know exactly what, what I did right, but a series of good decisions and here we are, you know. Um, that, that, that's what I got to say about this. It's 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 definitely a topic close to home. Um, something we also need to work on more because I feel like there's a lot of untapped talent in India. It's not just about your outsourcing customer support or your development teams for, you know, salaries. You could hire one person in the US, you could get like an entire team in India. But, you know, it, it's time that you treated people in a more meritocratic way. Yeah. yeah. I think it... it it, it's got to be tough. Um, and it's, it's interesting. I moved to Atlanta, Georgia about five years ago and my kids elementary school is 60% Indian right now. So it's the wow. majority of the school is Indian. So it's, there's a lot of, um, it's great. I love Indian food. I love, and it's like, I have like Indian shopping centers now and, and things <laughs> like that. So I, I love going in there, but it's, um, you know, I, I think very early on in my development career, um, and, and that was like 20 something years ago. Um, I worked with my like first Indian team and, you know, there is that, that shock kind of value. There's a little bit of a language barrier, even though we're, we're both speaking English. I, I speak, you know, 
bad American English. And, uh, but I, I think it's like, as, as we grow closer as like internationally and, and things, I, th- I see that smoothing over. Like I'm lucky that I learned at a very young age and, and cause I was doing development that it's like, you know, there's a billion people in India that are just like this. Um, and, and it's like, it's not, I, I, it stinks that it's like, Oh, we're just going to send that work to India because it's cheaper and they can work 24 hours a day. It's like, I've worked on teams where, you know, in the U S we worked these 12 hours and in India, they worked those 12 hours because we can shift it that way. And I thought that worked really well as a team because then you could have a 24 hour development cycle. Um, but there I've worked for companies where they just fired their whole development team and offshore to India um, just to get it at a cheaper rate. And, and I, f- I feel bad. I mean, I, it's not that I feel bad that I feel that the teams in India are being underpaid. And, and that's like something that I know is, is, um, it's it's tough and and even and as India's prices raise, like you see them going to like Romania now or going to other countries that are, mm-hmm. uh, and I guess it's just people who are just really worried about the the bottom line things. But um, I, I really try my hardest to like whoever I'm working with to to be you know super open. And it's like I had my first Samoas when I was 20, and I had my first like I, I loved it, um, and I love the experience of working with um, everybody. So. Um, yeah, no, I hope things like that get better and, and easier for you. And, and you know, I, I hope America turns their, their their eye on that a little bit more and, you know, realizes that we just, you know, we're all the same. <laughs> you know, um, it's it's just one of those where I feel I feel it's something like I wish there's something I could do about it. Um, and one day when I become a billionaire, I will. <laughs> but as of now, I'm struggling myself. So it's. Yeah, so I was gonna, I promised only one more question, but this time really only one more question. And it's fun fact, uh, India is number five on our top countries list in terms of listeners, uh, representing as of today, this moment, 3.6% of our audience. So hello, everybody from India listening. Thank you. Um, But I would ask- That was all uh, Alina listening. She just- (laughs) Thank you. I guess what are some of the the cultural differences that somebody on on our side of the pond, so to speak, needs to take into consideration? Um, I you know other than you know I I would say I have limited experience. Um, I did have uh, an Indian roommate in college, but that's about the extent of it. And I can't imagine that. Um, I don't know. I don't know how much uh, familiarity, uh, you know, most people in this country have with Indian culture. So I think that that's a, a huge component where I think we, we on our side uh, need to understand, understand a little bit better. So I would just ask about that. Um, what are some of the cultural differences and uh, how can we on our side be, be better? Right. I would say the, the most confusing things, even to my coworkers, to kind of wrap their heads around was there are lots of different types of India. Um, you know, anytime I mention I'm from India or like in the beginning when I joined some of the US teams that I worked on, um, it's either like immediately people think about Mumbai, they think about the slums, they think about, you know, Reliance um, or like the Ambani's. So I, I keep telling them like India is so many different things. You've got the on the east you've got the you know rainforest on the, on the north you've got snow down south you've got like you know places like Kerala which is like uh, coconut trees and lagoons and lakes and uh, you know you go to the west and you've got deserts 
And so just, just how geographies change, so do cultures. Um, that's one really fascinating thing about India. 28 different states and we've got 28 different types of like food and like a hundred different languages and like variations. And so each Indian you meet, you're probably, they're going to be different, <laughs> you know. Um, I am from Kerala and so uh, this is predominantly a Christian state. And um, the reason, you know, some people, again, they ask me, like, why do I have a neutral accent? It's because of the school that I went to. Um, it's one of the nicest schools uh, in, in this part of the world. My parents, they were, it's not that they were well off. It's just that I was a huge priority for them growing up. And then they wanted me to get the best education that they could afford me. And so um, I guess if, if you want to talk about competitive advantages, that's what it, it was for me, that my communication wasn't a barrier and that I could meet uh, the rest of the world halfway without having to feel insecure about how I come off. Or, and going to high school in a place like I did, um, I was I grew up watching the same shows that every other kid over there did. And so just kind of that cultural shock for me was a lot less too. You know, I, I already had a whole bunch of things that I could relate to and speak about. Um, and so that I think is a missing component with the with most of India that you you know you're used to because they don't know what what your common ground is. Um, you know you can't crack the same kind of jokes. You don't know what the you know like the local lingo is or anything like that. And so you just you know it's kind of awkward and um, you don't know what's rude, what's nice. But I would just say that you know just keep keep an open mind. Uh, like I said, India is so big. I still haven't been to most parts of India, and it's just it's. It's amazing. Every different state has so much to offer. The people are different. The way that we greet each other is different. Our cultures are different. Um, and so, and, and again, like things like, you know, when I was getting mad, people were like, oh, did you, did your husband come riding in a horse? And I was like, that's not the only type of wedding. You know, I had a church wedding because I'm a Christian. And so uh, just, I feel like we, especially like my entire group of friends, we were so obsessed with the West growing up, like all the same shows. Like Hannah Montana was a star when I was growing up. But, you know, uh, I knew so much about America even before I got there. And so I feel like some amount of reading and like just understanding how, it, just how the, the world works on this side, it, that, that'll go a long way. You know, people, the reason why, um, again, I, this topic is close to my heart. Um, you've got a lot of these link builders that keep spamming folks these days. Like, you know, do you want to do you want links higher? You, you know the messages. I don't need to repeat this, but I keep telling people, you know, like whenever I can, the only difference between them and me is the fact that I went to a better school and that's it. And that kind of, it changed everything for me. Um, so just cut them some slack. They're just trying to do their jobs, you know? Yeah. It, um, as you're describing that, it, you made me think it sounds a lot like the United States where you've got different cultures, East Coast, West Coast, Middle America, Northern America, super cold, Southern, Southern United States. And I just experienced this super warm, uh, you know, I go, you know, four hours on a plane, it's 90 degrees, four hours the other way, I come back, it's 30 degrees. So maybe we're not all that different. And then there's Florida. And then there's Florida. <laughs> Then there's Florida. All right. So, Jeff, let's jump into the core yeah. topic. Let's core, do it. Core our core topic today is content strategy SEO. And, and that's, uh, I think we've kind of hinted all around that and probably talked about some of this stuff. But um, so, Lena, working at, you know, in, in, in house, you know, I think you guys do like tele, telecom stuff um, or, or, 
yeah, I think that's what I read it was. Uh, what is kind of some of the most important aspects of SEO that you're doing there or content SEO in general? Um, overall, like what, what is kind of some of the work are you doing? Are you optimizing your product pages or, or is it strictly like outreach or not outreach, but like marketing to like kind of to push out some of the Wait. content? Can I, can I jump in really quickly before you answer that question? It's really funny, Jeff, as like, Jeff is like a super technical, he's like the technical <laughs> SEOs, technical SEO. So it's really funny to watch him squirm a little bit, asking about content and its relation to SEO. It's really so important. I just wanted to, content really important? I, I'm sorry. I just had to comment on that. You, you sounded really uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I guess it's one of those things that it's funny because I work at a company now where like content is number one and it's like we have 80 editors and writers, um, but I, I am like I write code. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I mean, I was wondering like how like, you know, what are some of the types of content that you're writing for the site and like the, the important aspect of I'm, I'm sure there's different styles of content for different reaches and um, just wondering a little bit about that. Yeah, um, so we're a cloud phone system company, which means everything that we do is digital. And um, the primary way that we get leads for our sales team is through our website. And, you know, when I joined Exiva, we didn't have too many landing pages. We, we had, I think, two money landing pages that we were sending both paid traffic as well as, you know, trying to build organic traffic too. Uh, the blog was mostly just kind of a, from a very editorial perspective, it didn't have uh, any SEO focus whatsoever. Uh, the different, just, just things like the navigation, trying to figure out like what's most important from a product marketing perspective and mapping that to what's important inside the sales funnel and what's what, what actually brings the higher ticket size deals into the pipeline. So I think I had the cool opportunity to start working with all of that. You know, like the world was my playing field. I could decide what I wanted to do. And I think that's a that's a really cool part of being in a demand gen team as well. You're not siloed into doing just one thing. You can pick up and do whatever you wanted. And so we chose to work on the blog initially, take it from just kind of like a, a you know, a topic dump area into, because we had all these opinion pieces that never ranked, like zero page views, zero backlinks, 400 word articles that, you know, we had massive content audits later, <laughs> we, we scrapped around a thousand different posts. And so building that entire blog strategy from scratch, uh, you know, whether it's thinking about how to map those different keywords into what's important for product, what's important for sales, what's important just to get traffic so that people know and associate Nextiva with voiceover IP content and recognize that we are a legitimate source of content. Because there's a lot of spam in our world too. We've got a lot of these uh, aggregator review websites that just like dump 3,000 word articles that just, uh, just can, they're gonna go in a loop, like, you know, the infinite loop you were talking about. It just doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> And uh, so that's, that, that was one huge component of the work that we do here is to focus on audience acquisition and the blog is our ultimate tool for that. Um, we've tweaked our process a lot over time. Uh, there wasn't a lot of cross collaboration with other teams in the beginning. It was just, you know, one designer and me were trying to figure out what the best way is to get things out. And our WordPress was, it's not the best. <laughs> So a lot of things I had recorded in myself and like get into the HTML editor and if I needed like call outs or like, you know, testimonial sliders or uh, just like a table of contents, the baby, all of it, I, I needed to go build it myself. And uh, which is a fun experience because we, it was so nice just with two months of working on that day in and day out, 
we saw traffic go, you know, it was like 100%, 200%, 300% at the end of, I think, back then, six months into it, we'd seen block traffic go up by 500%. Wow. And that's when we decided, okay, you know what? Step two of the plan, let's start working on our product landing pages because back then it was just forms and content that wasn't really doing anything. And, um, you know, figuring out like what, what, what are even the top, uh, you know, keywords that we should go after just splitting PPC and organic and making it two different journeys on its own. Um, and just, you know, and, and then when you're, when you're only stuck with two pages, you've got a hundred different pages to build. And the, the kind of the annoying thing about VoIP is that Google still hasn't figured out that cloud phone system, VoIP phone system, cloud, uh, business phone system, and cloud VoIP and cloud PBX are the same thing. The SERPs are so different. And so I had my job cut out for me. I'm sitting into trying to figure out, you know, what's going to give us the most bang for our buck when we're building out all these different exact match keywords. And in the beginning, like I said, like our goal was to make sure that both search engines as well as users could associate Nexiva with a high quality product. And so I was shipping out one landing page every week uh, in the beginning of me taking over those organic landing pages. And then phase three of that was again, building on top of those pages, you know, going back into Hotjar, looking at heat maps, looking at conversion funnels inside of Salesforce and seeing what pages are bringing in the most leads, where are people abandoning the page? Do we make it shorter, longer, you know, more CTAs, lesser CDAs? Do we need pop-ups, things like that? So a whole bunch of content optimization on top of the existing content, lots of CRO and lots of testing, uh, page speed improvements. Uh, you know, I gotta say, it's not as important as everybody says it is, <laughs> but especially in, in, in the product world, uh, I'd say it's a little more important inside like the publishing world, maybe, because people are just gonna leave it if it doesn't load. But for us, you know, uh, as as not the fastest pages, but and it still gets the job done. Um, and yeah, and then phase four was kind of integrating paid marketing into the mix and trying to see how we can work more closely with them because we had an established process, you know, from having nothing. We today have a marketing project manager who helps us fill out dev intake forms. So they need everything before I raise a request and ask them to get something up on staging. We've got lots of tools we use for QA uh, and for feedback. You know, the entire design process is so much more easier. Uh, we've got intake forms, which, you know, when other teams back in the day, I remember they used to hit up saying, hey, Alina, I need an email copy for this sales campaign. Or like somebody else would say, I need a one pager. And so instead of it all being random asks from here and there, it's so much more streamlined today. I love looking back and just looking at that progress. Everything that we do, at least from a demanding perspective, lives inside of Asana. We're stricklers for organization and uh, that nicely fuels my OCD. Uh, thanks to my boss, it, it's amazing the setup that we have inside there. Everybody's accountable. We work with bi-weekly sprints and yeah, I think phase five for us is stepping into the ABM world, taking our knowledge of all of this, you know, uh, top of the funnel activities. We then moved into testing and CRO and now we're trying to take all of that information combining it with, you know, all the leads that were brought in into marketing um, and then trying to figuring out how we can actually nurture them over time because all leads are not good leads. Um, and so just because they're not ready to purchase doesn't mean they're one in the future. So just thinking about activities and what we can do to keep nurturing them over time, if it's now or six months later or even a year later, uh, how do we go about doing that? So that's kind of like the full funnel uh, activity that we do at Next year. 
That's great. That's that's a that definitely feels like a full funnel of things, and it's way better than if I ran it would be. If I ran it, just be like, ah, oh, just go to keyword planner, grab some words, <laughs> let's write some content. <laughs> I, I, have a quick I, I would quick, be a little more uh, technical than that. But. <laughs> I, I have a quick question. Uh, so I I work on a, a client that is that is very similar to Nextiva, um, not entirely doing the same thing, but like you mentioned some some words like cloud PBX, um, which there might be a little a little crossover. And I think the the big challenge with those types of terms that are they're very product focused terms right it's a or solution focused i would i would say and when you look at actual search results for for these types of terms most of what is in in the rankings is it's aggregators right third-party sites that just talk about it almost like rating the different uh the different actual providers that tend to rank really really well um kind of like the Yelp, except for, for telecommunications. Uh, and if it's not that it's really, really high funnel, like what is in this case, cloud PBX, it's very high funnel stuff. Right. And the problem with high funnel content in order to rank, you typically have to write uh, create a really long piece of content because that's what's ranking. So if you want to have a chance to rank, you have to create some sort of long form content problem with that, like you said earlier, doesn't necessarily convert well. Uh, and then the flip side of that is, okay, well, I want my prod product or solution page to be ranking for this thing. How can I get it to be able to compete with these, the, the, in these queries with, you know, the, the types of content that are long form, but not completely overwhelm the product page with content. And it's like this delicate balance between do I have uh, enough content to rank, but not enough or but not so much that you're overwhelming the needs of an actual product page, which is more focused on features and conversion uh, and not necessarily always um, high funnel sorts of information. Right. So I, that's the question I would ask you is have you have you also run into that and like how do you balance that uh because it for me qu quite honestly it's a pain in the ass uh to to try to do uh and i just you know now that i have somebody else who's kind of doing a very similar thing i, I would just ask you the, that question as well yeah i think it's very difficult to be on the agency side for a client with that kind of a, a serve to deal with because there's only so much you can recommend from a search perspective for us though, uh, because we're on in-house teams, the nice thing about that is that's when we think about affiliate marketing. That's when we sit and think about our priorities. Like I'm not, I have the, um, you know, the freedom to decide, okay, if Cloud PBX, for example, hypothetically is turning say residential, you know, the SERPs are looking like I'm competing with Uma or like, you know, Vonage, where it doesn't make sense for me to keep pushing my B2B product. I can take the call on saying, okay, no, I'm not gonna go chase that. No explanation required because, you know, people trust the autonomous system that we've built so far. Number two, if it is purely aggregator focused, again, we retreat unless, of course, we've got some type of affiliate setup going on with them, um, you know, uh, where we can honestly try and get out, you know, position ourselves favorably um, among the different competitors in this space. 
And three, again, you know, I see a lot of uh, aggregators do this thing where they've got ratings up top and they've got like a whole article underneath. On SERPs like that, I'm like, I'm better off trying to find out less difficult SERPs and trying to grab those before our competitors or aggregators get to it than try and beat them at something that they've done for five years. Which is where, you know, having a nimble team comes in because people, you know, it's just getting smaller. Everybody's doing the same thing. You know, it, you can see from the meta descriptions, you can see from the page layout, it's the same regurgitated thing over and over again. The only two ways you'll stand out is if your product's strong enough to have a different kind of messaging over time and it's, it can speak for itself and you can combine your SEO treasure talk with that product-led angle. And two, you're nimble enough and you're brave enough to kind of venture into the buzzworthy world of SEO where you're, you're kind of doing journalistic content. You're not afraid of brand partnerships. You're trying to leverage, you know, your cool reports and surveys that you've done and package it in a way that is still search friendly. These two things, if you do, you're gonna you're never gonna run out of ideas because it's not available on any machine. It's not you can't just plug it into any tool and try and come up with it. But if you're gonna continue to only focus on oh yeah, this CPC seems really high or like this target keyword has thousands of uh, you know searches every month, so I'm gonna go ahead and create a piece of content or like a page and then try and beat everybody and get hundred links to it with a link building agency. That's gonna run out real fast. You're just gonna have. You're going to end up spending thousands of dollars and realizing that it was all just to get yourself on page two at the very top, which is not doing anything. Sounds like our podcast. I was going to say, get you a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I have a question about um, like how much or I mean, it's part of your strategy is is there's onsite content, then there's like offsite content. Um, How much is there a split between that that you work on or are you strictly doing all your content onsite? I would say 95% of it is on-site. Um, you know, with our affiliate partnerships, we try to be as hands-off as possible because, you know, it gets tricky. Um, the, the player who play, pays the most gets the most favorable result. And that, that's not something that we fully encourage uh, with the internal team. So, you know, uh, whatever is the healthy middle ground, but anything on top of that, nah. So I'd say like 95% is on-site content. That's good. Um, and then I guess, uh, we'll try to think of my next question. Um, so with many Google searches leaning more towards like high funnel informational content, how do you balance the information with like informational versus content that you need to sell, like selling content, if that makes any sense? Yeah, sure thing. For the longest time, uh, you know, we were a marketing first company because like I said, zero, not zero, but like very small search discoverability and trying to tip that scale in our favor. The biggest thing that I learned is that there's only so much marketing can do. Um, And I think that's the same thing with SEO. There's only so much SEO can do. It can get people to your website, but what they do on it, it heavily hinges on your product. And so which is where I think uh, my background in product marketing and a little bit of brand is exciting because um, a lot of SEO folks don't know how to leverage that information or work closely with product managers and try to get that information from them. Well, it could be simple things like, you know, get me access to your feature launch schedule. What's that looking like? Um, And, uh, you know, do we do we think about how to amplify the product and tie that down back to SEO? You know, so those are the kind of ideas 
that I think will start working. Again, the same thing that I mentioned, being product-led while being SEO-aware is, I think, the ultimate, that's like utopia for me, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. to give you an example, like, um, and it's so ironic how companies who are product-led aren't SEO-focused. So, for example, um, Zoom, everybody knows Zoom. Zoom's sales just went up, I don't know, by how much percent over the past year. Um, it's it's become a noun, it's become a verb for, you know, everything that you yeah. want to do in the digital space. Imagine if they had folks who were like, you know, super focused on search, building, uh, you know, just search only content every day. And their website authority is so high, they get away with doing anything. And mm-hmm. so yeah. same thing goes to companies like Intercom. Uh, you know, you think chatbot, you think Intercom. But I don't know what it is about companies that size, they just don't have a lot of those folks. <laughs> it's it's funny. It's like we um, live in the the same world a little bit um, when it comes to marketing can only do so much. Um, and there have been times sometimes where I've where I've thought like not that I don't want money and revenue coming coming in on the on the marketing side uh, or on the agency side, but there are times where I've thought to myself it may like some of that money might be better invested in actual product development because there are times in my career where I felt like I'm pushing to a bad product uh, where it would be nice if their product was improved, it would make my job um, certainly a lot, a lot easier. Yeah, I mean, this that's, a tough, that's a tough question. position, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's that classic question, and, and I'm, we got this a lot in the beginning, uh, but not so much anymore. But because traffic was growing at such a fast pace, uh, you know, just mm-hmm. like phenomenal. You know, I, I was telling you, five hundred percent over six months. But was there five hundred percent growth in sales? No. <laughs> and so the question was, why are we investing so much in search, but not able to get direct value from that? And that's a question, unfortunately, that we need to talk about internally. You know, you need to make sure that the product is where it's at and that uh, you know whenever you do have messaging around something that you're going to sell i mean copywriters can do an amazing job trying to position it whatever way but the moment somebody signs up for a demo then it's out of our hands you know the product's got to do its own talking and so um which is where i feel like a lot of seos again get a lot of bad rap because all traffic and and no leads or no sales you know um yeah which is, yeah. which is, again, why I think being in demand gen is such a cool job because you can be really close to the sales funnel and get a really cool idea. I mean, clear idea of what's what's really going on, what's driving your bottom, bottom line. Yep. Awesome. So I think we'll, we're going to finish up this section, but I am going to ask one final question there. Is that, does, do you have any parting thoughts on content strategy and SEO overall? Overall, I think uh, just from like a B2B SaaS perspective, I would just say stop copying your competitors. Uh, it's been done. Everybody sees right through your yeah. BS, you know. Um, <laughs> if you if, if companies took the plunge and got a little more creative every now and then, that's what they would believe in. And that's why companies like Basecamp, they stand out. You go to their website, it's, it's not a bunch of keywords stuffed in. They talk about what they're changing. But it's so difficult to take that plunge because you've got investors, you've got like, you know, CXOs breathing down your neck, you've got people that you're answerable to every 30 days asking you questions like, why are the lead numbers going up? Where am I, you know, where's the month over month growth on this? We've invested 100K in all of these different marketing activities that you said, but where are the results, you know? 
Uh, and so if you would take at least 50% or maybe 20% of the time that you spend on competitive intel and trying to get that information, building those keyword gap spreadsheets uh, and build out one idea that you think you can spend a quarter on with your development design team and push that out. Take your time with it. You know, you're gonna, you're gonna make more impact than you think. And we've done a few of those projects and I 100% back them. Yeah. I've got one follow-up question to, to that. Um, some businesses, are too conservative, right? When it comes to being different than everybody out there, how do you, how do you kind of run that um, strategy or kind of a, approach line of thinking? Because it, it really is kind of a culture shock for some businesses to right. be more aggressive in the marketplace with their positioning. How do you convince a conservative business? to become less conservative and more aggressive with their marketing strategy or their brand strategy? I mean, usually conservative equals very large size and there's so many stakeholders. You're probably not even talking to the decision maker at that point. You know, you're probably talking to the head of marketing who has no say in how the product is positioned because yep. the CEO is, <laughs> yeah, you know, the CEO is probably like thinking about it at night at 2 a.m. Like, yeah, this is what we should call the product. And like texting the CMO and the CMO then talks to the, five other layers under him, and then that's who you're talking to. So I would say there's no amount of convincing you can do. Uh, the only thing you can do at that point is try to milk it as much as you can, which is, yeah, keep keep bringing in all the extra traffic, get all that top of the funnel traffic as much as you can, show them the numbers, show them the, the power of SEO and what it can do, and then make your, you know, that's what we did in the beginning, because we did have trouble trying to get buy-in in the beginning about, what we need to change uh, at the end of the funnel. Uh, and so we would show how numbers were increasing. We're like, you know, what we're doing, it's it's impacting uh, things in a positive way. It's working. It means we're on the right track. But if you want to see change and if you want to see the MRR number go up, you need to make some changes and those are going to be hard decisions and that's on you. And so, um, but if you are an outsider, like, you know, for example, you're working at an agency, I wouldn't waste any time on it. Hammer that top of the funnel content, get that out, get them as much as traffic as you can and get out where you can, you know. Get out while you can. Famous last words. Um, <laughs> all right. So let's move on to Twitter questions of the week. Uh, and this week was a little uh, a little bit of an odd one uh, because we have, uh, we're literally interviewing two people in the same day. Um, so normally we get four, five, six, uh, seven questions, but it is, it's very hit or miss, I, I would say. Um, but we do have one question. Ergo, we have a de facto a de facto winner. Uh, and the question comes from Theodore Bigby, who actually won a few weeks ago. So we're going to be, and we owe Theodore some some swag. Uh, I, I handle the swag uh, department when it's, when it's uh, t-shirts, hoodies, those sorts of things. And Jeff handles it when it's his laser etched coasters uh, or his wood coasters. Uh, just Yep, one of these. Um, and uh, Theodore won a couple of couple of weeks ago, so we still owe Theodore some some swag. But now, Theodore, you're probably going to get to pick uh, from multiple types. It's like the of- carnival where like you play and you win the small prize, but then if you win again, you get a medium. 
prize. So he might there be upgraded go. to a medium prize. Yeah, keep asking questions, Theodore. We uh, keep them coming. We enjoy them. But anyways, so the question from uh, Theodore is, do you have any tips for in-house marketers and outside consultants to encourage a sales team to contribute to content ideas? Some don't see the, benef- the benefit of contributing to content marketing. So that really excellent question. Yeah, it's an amazing question. And um, the, the, the most fundamental thing here is that I don't think more salespeople will ever see the benefit of content marketing because it's not important to them. They don't get any incentive from contributing ideas to you. They're taking extra time off their day to come and help you out. So it's on you to go and keep nagging them. And that's what I do. You know, I set up this. There have been so many times where I've emailed folks they don't reply or like, you know, I, I get ca- time on the calendar, they don't get on, but I still persevere because I need their perspective on, you know, landing pages or content because they are the frontline folks talking to customers. And so I, and whenever I can't get on calls with them, I listen to sales calls, uh, recordings, and then I compile a list of questions from that and then make it super personalized and very difficult for that salesperson that I'm reaching out to, to ignore me. And so I would never expect a salesperson just be like, hey, Alina, I just got like 10 ideas for you. No, that's never happening. Um, you need to go knock on their doors, be nice, um, try and, and also the other thing about ideas is that people start losing uh, faith in them when they think that you're not following up. So if you do get ideas from your content or sorry, your salespeople or your customer support people, go back and show them what you did with those ideas and how they're moving needles for you. And, uh, you know, even if that, that means that, uh, you know, they said swap out this feature section for an FAQ and you're telling them because we did that, it looks like people are scrolling more through the page or like, you know, uh, time on pages increase things like that go back and show them results of what they've done and maybe they get more excited to share more the next time around. So I wouldn't build build on that relationship. That's my number one tip and show them that what they've contributed is important and keep asking questions. Yes. Who would have thought soft skills are one of the <laughs> most important aspects of SEO? And I would say that that advice doesn't just apply to salespeople. It's really good with developers as well. Uh, yeah. developers can be kind of the, the key holders of getting, uh, getting things done. And if you forget to follow up and show them that that thing that they spent an hour or two hours or even more time on that they probably had to like sneak into some release or deviate from their regular roadmap, which they, you know, whatever roadmap they're working on, uh, always, uh, takes precedent over, over the SEO stuff, which is usually perceived as like a, a secret project or a side gig or a nice to have, um, going back and showing them the results of the work that they did has a really, really, um, it, it has a, it has a knack, uh, for making them more open to doing things for you in the future because that they, they know there's going to be a payoff. So very, very interesting. Uh, I'm going to add a, a quick bonus question. We did not get to it in the first part, and I really, really wanted to uh, wanted to ask the question. So, uh, Alina, you were on the cover, or you're were you on the cover, or you're going to be on the cover of Ad World 2021? So, I, I have to ask about that. What is it like to be on the cover of an actual magazine, and how did you do that? <laughs> 
Um, this is where marketing really did a good job. Uh, that's that's actually just the speaker promo image. It's not really okay, the cover right. of the magazine. Damn it. So, you know, I, I hate <laughs> saying that, bad. but like, I, I love that you believed it for like a second there. Um, Cause you know. It looked very it, real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there you go. You know, those are fresh ideas. You've got so many virtual events going on today. And uh, the number one reason that I even thought about saying yes to Adworld was because they're designs were just amazing their instagram ads were on point that's how i noticed them in the first place and so yeah i mean i i hate to break my own bubble here but uh that's not an actual magazine ah so disappointed (laughs) that's okay still cooler than anything uh jeff and i have ever been on so props to the optics you know anybody hopping on my profile that's what they see they're gonna be like she's made a the cover of a magazine must be awesome. <laughs> um, all right. So to, to, uh, to close out, uh, Theodore, we're going to be reaching, uh, reaching out to you uh, with not one, uh, but two different uh, pieces of swag. It's kind of like pieces of flair, uh, which is a great uh, <laughs> office space reference for those of you yes. that have seen that movie. Uh, Jeff, take us home. Sure. So we like to ask all our guests one final question. That is, what words of advice would you give to a person just getting into SEO? Oh, man. I would just say, uh, <laughs> I would just say, start talking more. Um, I feel like it, it's something that's so difficult for freshers to get into because there's so much like, you know, fear of like being perceived in the wrong way, asking stupid questions, uh, not understanding what people are saying to you. Uh, just a little quick story uh, from when I was in my first three months of work, I hopped on uh, a call with, I think the business lead for APAC uh, for HubSpot. And he told me, I had no idea till date why he even said yes to hopping on that call with me. Because my ask looking back was so obscure. I was just like, hey, I'd love to chat about inbound marketing with you if you have some time and yeah. <laughs> and he said, yes. And um, he just dropped this stat on me. He said HubSpot back then was getting about 50,000 organic leads from their blog. And I, I was like, what, how is that even possible? You know, uh, that, that just, that just sounds insane. He said, yeah, that, that's in, that's inbound marketing for you, you know? And you know, the day that I understood how that machinery actually works, I thought about it and I was like, damn, this is what he meant. Of course, we've not hit 50K leads from the blog or anything like that, but, you know, divide that by, uh, I don't know, maybe like a hundred, a thousand, and <laughs> you still get numbers. And so my biggest takeaway was like, just, just don't be afraid of talking to people. And it's so important, especially when you're starting out, because what you think you know is not what you know. And there's so many different types of routes that you can take in your career. So um, it, it was kind of a checklist item for me. Uh, I, I would force myself to speak with one external person every week. And I have to say it looked like it paid off, you know. And surprisingly, uh, this industry, as we found out, as we've interviewed more uh, and more SEOs, people are pretty nice. Uh, I, I mean, of course, there are a few meanies and douchebags and whatnot but uh most people are, are are really nice and really accommodating in this industry more than most i think people are willing to take time out of their day uh to help somebody coming up uh i just think so, like if i could yeah. add a quick note in there talking Go about nice it. people i mean cameron who's been on this podcast jack yep. who's been on this podcast um kevin indy who's coming on after me um 
all these people have so much more experience in the industry than I do, but all of them I've had the amazing opportunity to chat with because of, you know, the exact thing that you said, they're willing to be helpful and, uh, you know, but yeah, thank you guys for doing that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. So Alina, where can people find you? Uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. Yeah. Where at on Twitter? What's your handle? Uh, A-L-I-N-A-C Benny. That's Alina C. Benny on Twitter. And yeah, just Alina Benny on LinkedIn. Excellent. Uh, so thank you so much for, for coming on. Thank you for being, uh, you know, flexible with your schedule and, and willing to work around uh, my vacation. I am literally the world's worst project manager. And uh, uh, when it comes to, to scheduling things, and Alina was super flexible, but Yes, this was another great interview. Uh, as Alina said, we've got uh, Kevin Indig coming up. We may experiment with releasing two episodes in one week just to see what happens. So things may get crazy. Uh, but either way, it uh, might be a good chance to listen to two episodes back to back. Alina first and then Kevin. So uh, for everybody out there, thanks again for listening. And uh, yeah, we'll be back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Page 2 Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the show or listen to new episodes, visit us at page2podcast.fm. That's page, the number two, podcast.fm. Our episodes are also available on a number of other platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Breaker, Deezer, Overcast, CastBox, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Additionally, you can also listen and watch our show on our YouTube channel or follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook. If you'd like to get in touch with us, contact us at thepage2podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, happy optimizing.